Good morning. It's good to be home. So good to be here. Isn't it great to be in a living church? You know that some have the appearance of being alive, but really they're dead. That was Jesus' rebuke and revelation. Get mad at him, not me. But if you get mad at me, I'll just point you to him. I've learned how to do that. How are we doing? Are we good? I love this place. I love you. I love your families. We love what God is doing here. We feel very honored, very privileged to be leading and to be a part of serving the Lord and what God is doing at our Father's house. Are you grateful for what the Lord is doing at our Father's house? I'm so thankful. I know that people here in this room, you've literally moved across the country. You've moved state lines just to be a part of what the Lord is doing here. We don't take that lightly. That's encouraging that God is drawing. What He is doing in this hour all across the body of Christ is He is gathering up people that are truly hungry for His presence, that love His Word and love His Spirit. You need to know that about our Father's house. We love the Word of God, and we love the Spirit of God who wrote the Word. And we don't feel that you have to pick and choose. We believe that you can have both. We believe that our gatherings and our, the life of this fellowship should be marked by the marriage of the Holy Spirit and the written Word of God. Please say amen. amen. That's your inheritance in Christ. Is... Uh, my brother Jackson, is he in here? Where'd you go, bro? Can you stand, man? I'm just going to be obedient to the Lord here. Does everybody know Jackson? Can you wave and say, hi, Jackson? Jackson loves this stuff. He's so happy with me right now. Just stretch your hands out towards Jackson. I felt like the Lord had given me a word and told me to do this publicly. So, Father, I thank you for this man of God. Lord, we thank you for our brother and we thank you for the anointing and the grace of Jesus that rests upon this brother. Lord, we thank you that the fragrance and the aroma of his life is pleasing to you and is a blessing to us in this body. Lord, I thank you that your word says in Jeremiah that you will raise up shepherds after your own heart. And Lord, I thank you for this. The shepherd who is being raised up in our midst in this critical hour in the earth. Lord, I thank you for a shepherd that's being raised up after your own heart, that he will not shepherd your people according to what they want, but he will shepherd them as you desire. Lord, I thank you that you have given him both a rod and a staff. And I thank you that you're going to teach him, Father, how to encourage those that are faint hearted and how to Admonish the unruly. Lord, I thank you that you have asked this man to step forward and to hold the line of truth and to proclaim the magnificent testimony that you have written in his life. Lord, I thank you that it's not his story. It's your story and it's your glory that is going to be put on display as the transformation is made more public, as people become more aware of the treasure and the gift of God within our brother Jackson. We bless him today and we call him forth into the more of saying yes to you in every way. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Lord. Well, I'm glad you're all happy and smiling now because I had a very disturbing dream that I need to tell you about. The Lord reminded me of this dream during worship. I had this dream on Tuesday of this week. And I'm going to read from you, read to you from Proverbs chapter 1. And I'm going to read just a warning from the scriptures. And then I'm going to tell you very briefly the dream I had. This is Proverbs chapter 1. God says in verse 23, Turn to my reproof. Would you say reproof? Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me because they hated knowledge. And did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. Does that sober you up? I had a dream. And the Lord showed me. And I'm not going to do this publicly. Because I don't believe He's released me to do that. But I saw the faces of several men in this fellowship. Some of you are married, some of you are not. But the word and the pressure and the weight of the reproof of God being spurned in your life gripped me in this dream. And I was moved to tears and I began to plead with the Lord that my brothers would listen to the reproof of God. I believe that there are some men in this fellowship that you are quite frankly ignoring And spurning the reproof of the Lord. And I want to urge you. If there are parts of your life that are in darkness. You need to bring them into the light. Because there's healing in the light. There's liberty in the light. Please do not let the enemy intimidate you from your breakthrough. I promise that getting it into the light won't kill you. It will actually rebuild you and make you the man of God that you're supposed to be. Please, I'm pleading with you. You know who you are. Do not spurn the reproof of God. He's promised to pour out His Spirit on us if we would turn to His reproof. Do not despise the correction of the Lord. Do not take lightly the instruction of our Father. There's no threat in this. There's no intimidation in this. I'm pleading with you because the Word of God warns us And we're not smarter than God. We're not smarter than the Word of God. I believe that those of you that may be be spurning the reproof of the Lord, the correction, the discipline of the Lord, I believe that if you will repent, I believe that God will pour out His Spirit on you in a marvelous way and make you a totally new 
man. He will heal your marriage. He will heal your children. There will be an overflow of the blessing and the favor and the power of God in your life. Please, please turn to the reproof of the Lord. Amen. Is that okay? That's just Bible. That's the Word and the Spirit married together. That's a young man having a dream and God speaking to me through His Word and me just being faithful to deliver it. You do with it what you will, but we'll all be judged with what we do with the Word of God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2 and we'll cruise into some lighter pastures. Somebody say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 2. As I was saying, I love what the Lord is doing here. Because there's real discipleship that's taking place. There's real transformation. I mean, as I look out across this room, I see men and women and entire families that have been totally transformed by the presence of God. That have completely done, some of you have done just a flat out 180. When we met you, you were craving darkness. You were in love with your lust. And God set you free and He's made you a worshiper. He's made you a lover of His presence, of His word, of His spirit. These are the things that go up before the Lord as a fragrance and an offering to God. That His spirit is really working in a church. One of the the most sobering verses... That keeps me up at night is Psalm 127.1. And it says, If the Lord does not build the house, the laborers labor in vain. Now I believe with all my heart that the Lord has commissioned me in His service and called me to serve the body of Christ. But can you imagine serving and giving your life to what you thought was God, but really you were building it, He wasn't building it. You were doing your best. You were making every effort. You had attendance and you had stuff going on. But God says, I don't recognize any of that. 1 Corinthians 3 teaches us that it actually all burns up. That God just torches it. He just sets it ablaze. Your soul is saved. It's not your salvation that's in question. It's your eternal reward as the things that you did as unto the Lord. Was God really working in them? Was the Spirit of God really building? One of the primary ways that we know that God is really building His house here is character transformation. Is people being moved from image to image and glory to glory. We have made the bar and the measure of success in church. How many people show up and how much money we're in charge of. The measure and the bar of success when transformation and the presence of the Lord and the power of God actually working in a community was always supposed to be the standard. It was always supposed to be, how do we know that God is really among us? Do you know why we structure our meetings corporately the way we do? Because we value the presence more than the service. Read my shirt. What's it say? Some of you, I don't know if you can't read or you just just opted out of that one. I'm not doing that. (laughs) Host the Holy Ghost. What does that even mean? When we gather together, what do we want to do? 
We just say, God, what does it take to host you today? We pray during the week. We fast during the week. We plan. We prepare. We spend time in the Word. We fellowship. We make all kinds of plans and preparations. But when we gather together, I'm telling you, it is exhilarating. Why? Because you never know what the Lord is ultimately going to do. It produces this sense of awe and wonder. What is Jesus Christ going to do when we gather together and we honor Him and we worship Him and we make room for Him and we just get out of His way? He can do anything. He's God. That's so much better than fabricating something, than feeling the pressure. Do you know why so many pastors and leaders are flat out tired? They're completely burned up because they think their job is to make people happy. They've been duped and deceived by the spirit of religion that says, how do we get as many people here and how do we keep them happy? When the whole goal of ministry is to make God happy, is to please the Lord. You know what really pleases and moves the heart of God? When we pray. You know what releases a groan in people when you invite them to prayer? Why? Because we're addicted to consuming something. What am I going to get out of it? And the only thing to consume in prayer is God Himself. I mean, I've become friends with pastors and people all over the United States. And they're like, man, it is so frustrating to try to get people to show up for prayer. Like I feel like I'm just talking to the wind and beating my head against a wall. And it's like, brother, what you're coming up against is the consumerism that America is drunk on. You have people that have been in the church their whole lives that still to this day think that the church exists to serve them. They think that they they tithe and they give their money to pay people to tell them about God. That is a consumeristic mentality. Please hear me. You are under the deception of consumerism, which is the spirit of the age. If you view the church, this place or any place, if how you view the body of Christ is a place where you can get your needs met, if that's the first thing that comes to your mind, you're in trouble. Because when the church of Jesus is no longer a body to belong to and a family to be a part of, but it becomes a community to consume and what can I get out of it, then everything is backwards and the foundation starts to crack. When you read about the Spirit of God moving in the early church in the book of Acts, do you see people consumed with themselves or do you see people sacrificing and giving and laying down their lives that someone else might be blessed? See, the revelation happens and the light bulb comes on and you begin to mature rapidly in your walk with the Lord when you realize, I've got these gifts and these talents for others. The the grace that God has given me is so that other people could benefit. So that somebody could say, man, my life is better because she's in my life. My walk with God is enriched because somebody had the courage and the nerve to say, how are you really doing? I see you raising your hands in worship, but is your heart really on fire? That's what real family does. That's where the presence and the power of God begins to reverberate. 
begins to abide is when there's a group of people that are gathered together and they've come to simply die to themselves. The nature of agape love is sacrificial. The love of God is self-sacrificing. He loved the world so much. He was full of this love for a world that hated Him so much that He gave what is most precious to Him, His only Son. So that who could benefit? So that we could benefit. So that we could be saved from the wrath of God. So that we would not perish in the judgment of God. So that we would be delivered from evil. That we would be pulled out of this present age. That we would pass from death to life. And that we would begin to experience the realities of God's kingdom. I hope to provoke you to jealousy this morning that you were made to experience all that God has for you. And that any force, any person, any group, any doctrine that wants to talk you out of pursuing the more of God is from the pit of hell. Get it through your heart and mind really clearly. There is a real spirit that works in the hearts and minds of people and it always seeks to talk you out of sacrificing more for God. It targets the hunger inside of you when you begin to really crave God's presence. When you begin to think about really getting free, when you begin to think about, man, I don't want to live in this addiction anymore. I don't want to be dependent on anything in my life but God. When you start to think those thoughts, the enemy comes after you like a heat-seeking missile and says, how can I just put out the fire of God in you? What do I have to do to extinguish the work of the Spirit in your life and deceive you? And one of the fastest ways He can do that is when we begin to think it's about us. When we begin to think, well, what am I getting out of it? Do you know the loads and the scores of people that leave their churches because, well, we don't like the worship We're supposed to be consuming God. We're supposed to be worshiping God. We're supposed to be offering praise to God. I can worship in a room with no instruments. Why? Because my lifestyle worships Him. If I can get a guitar going, it's just a bonus. Like, this this is awesome. And if I can get a, a bunch of people around me that are worshiping, now we're really catching fire. I fear that as a global church, we have lost the sacredness of gathering together and how special and how powerful it really is. I mean, you witness some people's lives and it's like church almost seems optional. Like, it's like if I can make it. And I'm like, so the the priority list needs to change. But then we're surprised when our kids don't think God is important because what we model for them is that fellowship and His presence is optional. It's only when it's convenient. And then when they determine that it's more inconvenient than you, we're shocked. And this is how the enemy wins the war. This is a holy gathering. This is a holy convocation unto the Lord where Jesus is honored, where God is rightly seen, where the Spirit is moving. 
Where God has the liberty and the freedom to work and to build His church. Earlier we were laying on hands, we were praying, we were just just exercising our faith. And immediately you might have come up against that wall of consumerism like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm here to receive something. And that's okay, but if that is your every day, every week, every month existence, I'm calling you to an upgrade. Because when everybody shows up to give, God pours it out and you see His glory manifest. I've been in some wild meetings in the Holy Ghost. It was because people showed up ravenous and hungry for the presence of the Lord. I have seen mamas hold their babies in this room at 2 in the morning. Am I exaggerating? Were you here for that? Because there was hunger. But you know what preceded it? Real repentance. Deep repentance. A sense of the fear and the awe and the holiness of God. My experience in ministry is if you preach love and you preach mercy and you preach grace, people will smile and say thank you and hallelujah. You preach truth and righteousness and holiness and repentance and oh boy, you hurt my feelings. We need to adopt an attitude about the preaching of God's word that goes like this. If the shoe fits, wear it. I have never in my life heard a sermon and felt like, well, that, that, like, that just hurts my feelings. I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to listen to that. That is spurning the reproof of God. I listen to things and I listen to, to because preachers need to be preached to, amen. I listen to podcasts and sermons and I go to places and I'm looking to get cut. I'm looking to get healed. I'm looking to get delivered. I'm looking to get exposed. Wouldn't you rather find out you're in idolatry in this life and repent of it than not inherit the kingdom of God at the end of the day? Because you were too busy worshiping and serving other things. And listen, what this is is a pep rally where we remind each other that Jesus is supposed to be number one. And nothing else should come close to Him. And when things begin to creep and infringe and encroach upon our loyalty and our love for Him, all those things need to stand down. And sometimes, in my experience, you have to put them down. You have to euthanize the things that dull your spirit. You have to go after them. Does the Word of God command us to crucify our flesh? To put to death the works of the flesh. To put aside the old man. To throw off the old life. All of these phrases are biblical realities that we are called to turn from foolishness. And turn to the reproof. And turn to the wisdom and the instruction and the power of God. Eve was deceived in the garden in Genesis 3. And the serpent deceived her and caused her to think that God was holding out on her. And that He was keeping back something good from her. And His deception caused Eve to see God's laws and His boundaries as restrictive rather than protective. Now she feels like, oh, God's trying to keep the fun from me. 
When you have a rebellious attitude and a rebellious heart, you read the Word of God and you see the things that He says, these are off limits, and you go, well, I want to do that. Well, what's the big deal? And then you meet other people that really want to walk in holiness and really want to honor God, and you're like, oh, they're a bunch of radicals. Listen, please hear me. The wet blanket brethren will talk you out of deeper surrender. They are waiting at every twist and turn of your life to tell you that your sacrifice is actually legalism. Obedience isn't legalism, it's worship. It's worship unto God. How do I worship the Lord? I obey Him. I submit to His commands. I read the Word of God and I grow in my wisdom and my knowledge of who He is. And I say, God, I'm not smarter than you. You're not restricting me. You're protecting me. So when you tell me that sex outside of marriage is a sin and that you only bless the marriage of one man and one woman, these are boundaries of God. He's telling us you will destroy yourself if you take the power of sex and you take it outside of the covenant of marriage. It will ruin you and destroy you. It will put a mountain of shame over you that will prevent you from really walking with me in truth. But you know the loads of people that are deceived? You know how many people think that the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality? It's clearly in the Word of God. You know how many people think that God doesn't speak today? You know how many people are deceived? They're like, well, God doesn't do any of that anymore. I'm like, show me. Go ahead, I'm a student of the scriptures and you should be too. Please show me in the word of God where he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit and then once I give you the Bible and close the canon, you just read the Bible. Did you know that Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees and he said, you look to the scriptures because you think in them you have life. There are people that are dried up on the Word of God that don't have the Spirit, that don't have the presence and the outpouring of God. They have the letter, but the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God wants to give us life by His Spirit. He wants to instruct us in His Word. So let me make this simple. The Holy Spirit will always lead you to obey the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's never going to contradict His written Word. The Holy Spirit's never going to tell you to do something that violates the revealed character and nature of God. So we had a time of laying on of hands and praying and whatever. Listen, if you got a word that was weird, here's what you do. You just brush it off. If somebody said something that didn't resonate with your spirit, just let it go. You don't have to get all twisted up like a pretzel. And walk around all week like, ah. Oh. Listen, if it started to bring confusion, just I dismiss it in Jesus' name. I've received all kinds of prophecies. I grew up in a spirit-filled, charismatic environment. This is all I really know. I've been prophesied every single one of the five-fold ministry. <laughs> Whatever. I know I'm a servant. I know I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm not confused about it, but you get my point. So if somebody says something, you just say, you just brush it off. I heard from somebody uh, not that long ago that somebody 
put their hand on them and prayed for them and said, I'm, I'm going to give you a word, you, you, you just you test it. They said, you're a dolphin in the spirit. And then they walked away and we haven't seen them since. <laughs> what do you do with that one? You just let it swim away. <laughs> Whatever that means. What up, flipper? This is a safe place to practice, to grow, to learn. But you also got to be willing to take the correction. If you make people uncomfortable, we're going to talk to you. Because this is a safe place for the hungry and a dangerous place for the lukewarm. When you give the Holy Spirit freedom, it's not a free-for-all. There are protocols. There's procedure. We don't just let anybody get up on the mic. I remember years ago there was a lady that came in and she had on her holy roller shoes. You could just feel it. And she came up to me about 30 minutes into the meeting and she said, I'd like to give a word to the church. And I said, ma'am, I don't know you, but we'd like to build relationship with you so that your gifts can benefit the body. She never came back. She wasn't interested in relationship. She was looking to use the church. There are some that they're looking. Oh, this is my opportunity. Maybe if I can get the microphone, I can find out who I really am. Can I tell you, this will just show you who you're not. This will expose all the insecurities and all the dross and all the flesh and all the stuff that's got to go to the cross of Christ and die. These brothers that are in here that are learning, that are being trained, that are growing in the Lord, that are preaching. Nicholas is going to preach later this month. Everybody say, come on. And a prophet of God will be revealed to the church. Why? Because this is a New Testament house. This is how it really works. Leaders are born. People are raised up. The saints are equipped to do the work of ministry. You are called to do the work of ministry. Every single one of you. But the institutional. The consumer mindset is so cancerous. Because it makes you feel like you're only in ministry if you're paid. You're only in ministry if you get the microphone. Not everybody has a verbal word gift that should be spoken to the church. I've had some of the sweetest encounters with God in my travels through people that have a gift for hospitality. They didn't preach on a Sunday morning. People don't even know who they are, some of them. But man, they greet you and you're like, I think Jesus just welcomed us to Ohio. <laughs> like, I think he was waiting at the gate in Georgia and had all these stuff. It's like, that's a gift of God. But when it's a light show and a rock concert, we got to just promote the one gift who can talk and that's not body life. Where were we? And I just feel a, a stirring in my spirit that this house would become all that she's destined to be. That this church would grow up. That there would be a maturing in our lives that would happen where we're growing to love the Word and love the Spirit and God's power is breaking in. Can I inform you? The world needs you. I preach to the people of God like leaders because you're all leaders. You're supposed to lead the world to Jesus. 
But we've babied people and we've just lowered the bar. And it's like, I just, just hope you have a nice feeling by the time you walk out of here. We're supposed to be getting equipped. We're supposed to be being trained. And by the way, if women can't be in ministry, then what are we equipping them for? Let me, let me say it again. If women can't be in ministry, then what are we equipping them for? It says that the fivefold is given to equip the saints for the work of service. Sisters, we need you. Ladies, we need you. Do you know that the spirit of the age that is slaughtering our children needs godly women to stand up and say, not in my house, not in my family, not in my community. Because there are some things that you ladies can get to and you can say that I can't. Because I got the wrong parts. But I got the parts he gave me and so do you. And it's a blessing. The true body of Christ delights in diversity. God made people diverse. He likes the difference in our eye color, in our skin color, in our hair, in how we do life, why it's beautiful to Him. So why in the world do we spurn diversity in the Spirit? We're like, oh, it just has to look this way. We had one lady, she said, I don't believe in speaking in tongues and all that, but I like to listen to preachers who do. She said, I can tell a difference in people that say they, they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues. They're preaching it like really moves me and it really helps me, but I don't believe in it. Like... <laughs> so the doctrine that you've been taught by man that you can't back up with a shred of Scripture is seducing you and causing you to reject what the Spirit of God is doing in the earth. Turn with me to Acts 2 if you haven't already. And let's keep having some fun, shall we? Verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. If you can't preach Acts chapter 2, you can't preach. I guess we're about to find out. Hold your breath. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Just please note the unity. They weren't all doing their own thing. They weren't all like, yeah, oh, we got stuff to do. They were all together in one place. And if you read Acts chapter 1, they were praying and they were waiting. They were obeying Jesus who said, wait for the promise of the Father. It's about to happen. So they're together and they're in one place. But they're not just in one place. They have one heart and one mind. They're united. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a little gentle breeze. And suddenly there came from heaven a sprinkle. And suddenly there came from heaven a sermonette. Suddenly there came from heaven, what's it say? Say it loud. Who in here has the word violent in your Bibles? Okay, you're reading a more literal translation. That's accurate. 
That's correct. That's a proper rendering of this Greek word. It says there suddenly came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. We need more violent rushing winds in the church of Jesus Christ. We need more winds of awakening and revival. We have so many people that are sleeping on God. So many people that they can tell you where they go to church, but they can't testify to you about the power of God at work in their lives. Just because you're naming His name doesn't mean He's real to you. How do we know? It's the evidence and the fragrance of a lifestyle that's laid down before the Lord where real transformation is taking place. I don't know how often you repent, but can I encourage all of us to repent more? I believe it's supposed to be an integral part of our walk with Jesus. Every time I preach, I try to repent. I get down on my knees. Oh God, you want me to say something on your behalf? People are looking to me to say something that rightly represents you. Oh Jesus. And I'm going to be judged when I stand before your great and glorious throne. And that if I taught that if it actually rightly represented you. Or if I led people astray. That's a fearful thing. We don't do this flippantly. The fear of God is returning to the church and it's returning like a violent rushing wind. The fear of God is sweeping people up. Did you know in Acts 9.31 it's actually how the church grew and increased was the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It says, and there was increase that was happening. Acts 9.31, you can read it later, or you Bereans can do it right now. (laughs) The fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You know what we've tried? The gimmicks and the games of man and the programs and how can we get you interested in something? How can we appeal to your flesh when God wants to deliver you and I from our flesh? Aren't you tired of living life your own way? I mean, essentially to surrender to Jesus means I give up. I give up on doing things my way. I give up on thinking I'm smarter than God. And that attitude and that heart posture of repentance begins to ruminate inside of you and goes up before the Lord. And he says, ah, now I found someone who fears me. The word of God says the eye of the Lord searches the earth to and fro for those hearts that fear Him. It doesn't say those that really love Him, those that really worship passionately, those that speak in tongues. It says those that fear Him. I fear that we've tried to make the fear of the Lord cute. And we've tried to sanitize it When the fear of the Lord comes upon the church heavily in Acts chapter 5, two people have just died because they lied to the Holy Spirit about their offering to God. We need more Ananias and Sapphira preaching in the body of Christ. Why? Because we've had enough cookies and cake for a few generations. The fear of the Lord is returning to the church and it's coming like a violent rushing 
wind. Will you open the sails of your soul today and allow the fear of the Lord to rush into you like a violent wind? Oh, that word I gave earlier about the reproof in the dream I had has me shuddering for my own life. God gave it to me. He didn't give it to you. God spoke to me about reproof. I need to go to the Lord and I need to make sure that I'm not spurning His reproof. That I'm not despising the correction or better yet, the direction of my life. The last year has proven for me that God has sent me out and I'm going, I don't know where, but I'm just trying to follow. I got no idea what happened. I'm just trying to obey and keep my face on the floor. Because I don't want to argue with God and think I know what the plan is for my life better than you. And truth be known, many of these places that I've been preaching all around the country, I end up down on my knees in the altar crying and asking God, give me a heart that loves to do your will because I want to be home and I want to be with my family. And I see the tears in the the eyes of my children when I leave and it's hard, Lord, but God has promised that He will father my children while I'm away. That He's going to take care of our David and our Daniel. That He's going to take care of my wife. That He's going to use His body in this family to watch after our interests. Why? Because He really is sending me and I've got to trust Him for all the rest. What is God asking you to do? How can you obey Him with all your heart? Please don't spurn the reproof. Let the violent rushing wind of the Holy Spirit fill you afresh and anew and carry you away. If you get swept up in the wind, do you go somewhere? Let me ask this side. Yes? If the wind of God, does the wind of God move things? You know, when the wind is coming, you know what sailors do? They put the sails out. It's going to get easier. Now the wind is going to move us where we want to go. Because we have a direction and an aim for our lives. Find out from God, what do you want me to do? Get so desperate that you can't live in ignorance anymore. It is not humility to be ignorant of God's call on your life. People are like, I got no clue what the Lord wants me to do. I'm like, that really sounds humble, but you're actually confused. Paul begins his letters and says, Paul, an apostle called by the will of God, and I'm given as a gift to the body. Basically, he knew he had clarity, he had direction, he had conviction. He was busy doing the work of the Lord. I want to encourage you, please get busy doing the work of the Lord. Please get busy standing for Jesus. Please come off the fence if that's where you are in your journey and catch fire for Jesus. You know that dead wood burns brightly. You have a hard time catching wet wood on fire. Anybody ever tried? It's difficult. It takes more work. Maybe rather than trying to light the wet wood of your life, maybe try dying. Just die. Just deeper surrender. Jesus, I give my life to you. I give you everything I have. Everything I am. 
I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant when I stand before you. I don't want to spurn your reproof. I don't want to hate your instruction. I don't want to despise your correction. I want to be moved by the violent rushing wind of your Holy Spirit. God, please consume my life. Have everything. Oh God, make us a desperate people. Make us a people that can't tolerate compromise in our own lives anymore. Jesus, I'm so tired of hearing about other people that are in sin when we're in sin. Of chatting up how other people have failed and are struggling when we're not really right with you. Humble us, your people, Lord. Cause us to see our sin for what it really is in your sight that you might Heal us, that you might transform us, that you might deliver us from ourselves. Let's keep reading. They told me in preaching class I was only allowed to pray at the beginning and the end. I just violated that. That was the middle. (laughs) Verse 3. The violent rushing wind, verse 2, fills the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues. Would you say tongues? Tongues as of fire. Distributing themselves. And they rested on each of them. The word there is it literally sat on them. you imagine a tongue as a fire sitting on you? (laughs) The Holy Spirit rushes in, fills the house. Tongues of fire. God is an all-consuming fire. God comes to consume all the chaff in our lives. Why? Because He loves us. Because He deeply cares about us. Because He doesn't want us to succeed in our own strength lest we ruin ourselves. I think we need a little dose of humility that says, I am my own worst enemy. I need to be delivered from me so that I can follow you. When we do things for God and we step out in faith and then we start thinking about how we looked and how we sounded or what people thought, we're reverting back to our own concept of self. What if God called you like the prophet Jeremiah and told you to preach and said, by the way, they're not going to listen? What if that was your commission to ministry? I want you to preach my word and nobody's going to listen to you. Will you obey me or are you in this for results? I want you to preach my word and your family's going to turn on you. They're going to hate you for your devotion to Jesus. They're going to be committed to misunderstanding you. They're going to make a minimal effort to really partner with what the Lord is doing in your life. They're actually going to withstand you in it and make it difficult for you to obey. Will you still follow? You don't need permission from your family to follow Jesus and obey completely. 
You've been given permission by God to burn for him and live as an example that they would catch fire for Jesus too. The best thing that we can all do is burn brightly for the Lord. The best thing, oh, what do I do? How to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Just start there. Let God proclaim the power of His gospel through your transformed life, through your transformed lips, through your transformed vocabulary. Are you here this morning? So tongues of fire rest upon them here in the day of Pentecost. And they were filled, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Oh my God, what a war there is over tongues. Have you ever wondered why there's such warfare? Have you ever stopped to think, what is this pressure? What is this thing that comes over me? What is this fear that begins to intimidate me about the shakalabakala? That's not my tongue, by the way. We're just having some fun. But why is there so much? Oh, it's like, oh, they speak in tongues. It's of the devil. Show it to me in the book because it looks like the Holy Spirit. Well, God, God doesn't do that anymore. No, really? This is an introduction into what He's going to do until He returns. This is the beginning. Getting filled with the Spirit, speaking with tongues, being endued with power. In verse 4, it says that they began to speak the Word of God boldly. Why? Because they got filled with the Holy Spirit. There's one baptism and many fillings. You can get filled afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. If you are dry, if you are weary, if you are worn out, if you are tired, you can pray, God, fill me again with the Holy Spirit. Quiet my heart and my mind and rush in and fill this place like a violent rushing wind and take me where you want to go. When you give your life to Jesus without any negotiation, without any bartering, without any trying to debate Him, God will set you on fire. Because you have nothing to lose and the only thing to gain is Him. I want the only thing for me to really gain in this life is Christ. That whatever I lose, whatever I forsake, whatever I turn away from, I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, it's the prize. It's the great purpose and call of life is to know the Lord. It's to have a relationship with Him that is so personal, so intimate, so real that it begins to transform you and everybody around you. If you get set on fire, it's going to get awkward though. Because when Grandma Susie's wet like wood, and she don't want to hear about the fire of the Holy Spirit and the shakalabakala, are you going to quiet down? Are you going to become ashamed of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to conceal the fact that you prophesy and you speak in tongues and you experience God's presence? And like people are like, have you seen miracles? I'm like, yes. What do you want me to do with it? Like, like renounce it? 
Like, no, they actually didn't get healed. I know they couldn't walk before. We prayed for them and now they can walk. I guess I just hallucinated. But I'm not on LSD. The Holy Spirit healed somebody and we're going to give Him credit and honor and glory because He's the one that did it. I know I can't heal anybody. Like 100% confident something's wrong. Something's wrong. I got nothing for you. I'll pray in the name of Jesus and ask Him to do something for you and then we'll leave the results up to God. So many people feel this pressure about the miraculous. Listen, you're not going to live a miraculous life by trying to fabricate something. Just pray in faith and let God do the rest. But here's what we do. What if they don't get healed? I'm like, do you have a plan for when they do? You sound unprepared for the healing you're praying for. What if they do get healed? What if, what if your prayer of faith, what if just that seed of belief that God could heal them would lead them to salvation? Like, did somebody actually just place their hand on my shoulder in Walmart and believe God to heal my body and transform my life? I mean, people that are in the world are like, what's gotten into you? The Holy Spirit. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is living inside of me and He's instructing me and showing me what pleases God and what displeases God. He's teaching me obedience. He's showering me with His love. The Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our hearts. Romans 5.5 if you have a love deficit in your life, if you feel constantly lonely, if you're a victim of every situation, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh so that the love of God can affirm you, so that the affection of God can touch your soul and you don't need everybody to clap for you all the time. You have a sense and a knowing, God really loves me. I can tell you God loves you. But it's different when you hear it for yourself. It's totally different when you hear the kind and gentle and patient and truthful voice of God your Father say, I love you. I know you. I made you. I'm never going to abandon you or forsake you. I know that they're lying about you, but the truth about you is this. You can't trade that for anything. That will give you a confidence that will make you dangerous to the camp of the enemy. That will fill you with a knowing where you actually live from an eternal perspective. Like, yes, we faithfully give our money and honor the Lord from our wealth and we take that seriously and we have a plan for the money before we make it because it's how we worship and honor God and He's looking at what I do with my bank account as worship unto Him. And when I do that, my heart is transformed. I start catching fire did you know Jesus actually taught in the gospel of Luke that you can lack in your spiritual life because you're not stewarding your finances well? He says, if you will squander the earth's riches, who will entrust the true riches to you? Who will entrust you with the gold of God if you can't handle the silver of man? These are all issues of discipleship. 
This is what it really means to follow. But I fear that we have preached a gospel that offers people all the benefits and blessings of salvation without the sacrifice and obedience that God requires. This is not a hard message. This is a loving message. This is a truthful message because love always tells the truth. We were listening to a song, Taylor and I, a few days ago, and the song was really wonderful until they went into the bridge, and the bridge was quite literally this. All you have to do is believe in your heart. Nothing more is required. And then it went into this chorus about Jesus loves you. I'm listening to that, and I'm like, hmm, let me run this through my Bible grid. And see, see, if, see if what God said is, just believe in your heart. Like here, let's take a minute, let's all believe in unicorns for a second. Just humor me, ready? All right, we're all believing, do you believe in unicorns? I do, they're real. They got four legs, they got a horn, they're colorful, they're cool, got, they're bedazzled. I don't know what your unicorn looks like, but I believe in unicorns. And then we move on from this moment, and I believed in unicorns. And nothing changes. It had no power, no, no effect on me. There weren't even any tears. I just believed in unicorns. This is the false gospel of greasy grace that's out there. Just, just, I just believe in my heart. Biblical faith is transformational. The word of God says faith without works is dead. No, your works don't save you, but they're the evidence you're saved. Yeah, I've got works in my life. I've got actions and things that we do and don't do that are evidence of living faith within me. In other words, if I got investigated about following Jesus, I would be convicted as a follower of Jesus. Wow. We don't see perfection, but we see somebody who's trying, who's working out their salvation with fear and trembling, who's repenting when they fall short. Have you ever had to repent to your kids? I've been on like a repent to my kids tour. And I keep waiting for the last destination. I'm pretty sure it's going to go on my whole life. Because there's something that gets worked of the Spirit of God inside of me when I got to get down on one knee and say to my six-year-old, hey, David, Daddy, sorry. I'm sorry that I said that to you that way. Please forgive me. Oh, I feel the Spirit of God because He's humbling me. If you are confused and lost and broken in your life, if you are hearing me like Paul, that sounds good and you're really fired up and sweating too much, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. What should I? Humble yourself. Humility. It's not thinking of yourself less it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less of yourself. I just butchered that. <laughs> Later in Acts 2, it says they were full of sweet wine because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I don't feel drunk, but maybe I am. What is humility? Andrew Murray writes that it is the displacement of self and the enthronement of God. What happens when we humble ourselves? We get displaced. We get off the throne of our lives. We stop being in charge. And then we feel scared. Well, I don't know. I'm not in control anymore. 
I've learned how to control and manipulate and dominate my whole life. And now you want to drive Jesus? And he's like, yes. I know these roads and I know where they go. And I know where the sharp curves are and I'm going to take care of you. We're like, but have you heard of GPS? He says, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit and we're going to follow him. And your life is going to end up better than you could have ever imagined. You're going to be more satisfied, more filled with joy and peace and love and things that really matter than you could have ever imagined because I'm better at doing life than you are, says the Lord. So you get displaced. You get taken off of the throne and God becomes enthroned in your heart. Lord, I'm alive today because you woke me up. I'm living on borrowed time, breathing borrowed air. How can I please you with it? I don't want to take for granted that you've given me life today because this is but a vapor. Today could be my last. I heard a story of a young man that was deeply convicted of his sin and moved to repent. And he determined that he would repent the next day. He said, I will repent tomorrow. I will make all this right tomorrow. And the preacher was preaching from Hebrews 3 saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It says today is the day of salvation. He said, I will do it tomorrow. And this is a true story. He was killed in a car accident that night. He didn't get hit. Tomorrow didn't come. He didn't have his moment of later I'll follow you. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the hour and the moment. Do not delay. Do not harden your hearts. If the Holy Spirit is working in your soul right now, listen to the Lord. It's not me, it's Him. These are His words. This is His heart. This is His gospel. This is His church. And He is building this house as He sees fit. Would you stand with me? I want to ask you just to pray with me right now. That's different than listening to me pray. I just want you to pray. You can speak out loud. Just pray with me. Let's go to the Lord right now just in this moment. Just one moment can change your life. The Holy Spirit is here. The conviction and the presence of the Holy Ghost is in this room. You can pray louder. You're not going to upset me. I'm Pentecostal. God, send a violent rushing wind. Send a violent rushing wind, O Lord. God, we just want you. We want your presence. Religion can't set us free. We can't save ourselves. God, we need you.
Fill us with the Holy Spirit afresh and anew right now. If you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, I just want you to raise your hands to the Lord. Holy Spirit, God, pour it out right now. Lord, we confess our desperate need for you, Lord. Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We can't go our own way. We don't want to live our own lives. We want to live for you. We want to walk with you. We want to know you. We want to be filled by your precious Holy Spirit. We want to be responsive to your conviction. We don't want to spurn your reproof. We don't want to hate your correction. We don't want to despise your process. Jesus, we surrender. We surrender right now. Keep praying with me, saints. If you need to leave, be blessed, be dismissed. We're going to stay engage with the Lord. Keep praying with me. Holy Spirit. Push past the awkward. Push past what your mind and your intellect is saying and engage with the Lord right now. Now is the hour. Today is the day. God, break off apathy and indifference, Lord. Pour it out, Holy Spirit. We're desperate for the Holy Spirit. We need more. Release Your presence and Your power, Lord. Let conviction return to our hearts. God, we repent for our sins. Lord, we repent for our stubbornness, for our hard-heartedness, for our arrogance. God, forgive us for our rebellion. Forgive us for spurning Your reproof. Forgive us for running and trying to hide when there's nowhere we can flee from Your presence. God, I'm asking that you would turn the wayward sons and daughters home. Those that are here today and those that are somewhere else, God, go and get them. Bring them to the end of themselves. Bring them out of the pig slop of the world. Keep praying with me, saints. Don't quit on me now. We've not come this far to abort this moment. Allow God to birth it inside of you. God, make us desperate for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Let tongues of fire rest on your people, Lord.
If you feel the presence of the Lord in this moment, I just want to invite you forward right now. If you feel the conviction and the stirring of the Spirit, don't wait for somebody else. You respond to God. This is between you and Him. This is for the sake of your own soul. Some of us are getting off the cruise ship. We're stepping aboard the battleship. We're coming on board. We're saying yes to the orders of the captain who is Jesus. Jesus.